welcome to Non-Native, the podcast that shares conversations between immigrants, expats and interlopers. My name is Sarah and in November 2014, I up sticks from Bristol in the United Kingdom to move to the west coast of the United States. Moving meant leaving behind friends, family and the country I'd lived in my whole life for the promise of new experiences, meeting new people and adapting to a new culture. In Non-Native, I speak with women who have moved around the world in pursuit of love, work, happiness or adventure. Hello and welcome back to Non-Native, the podcast that shares conversations between female immigrants, expats and interlopers. I'm back in my closet, which is where most of my recording happens, recording the intro for this episode, featuring Maria, a parenting blogger from Trinidad who now lives in Surrey, England. Not long after moving to the UK, Maria met her now husband, and what was at the time a temporary stay has since turned into almost two decades and starting a family of her own. In this episode, recorded in early June, Maria and I chat about raising mixed heritage children and how years of Skyping friends and family back home has, in one sense, helped prepare us for the pandemic. Maria also shares her thoughtful advice for anyone thinking of taking the leap and moving abroad. A big thank you to Maria for joining me, and thank you to everyone who has listened to Season 3 so far. If you're enjoying these episodes, please don't forget to subscribe to and rate Non-Native wherever you listen to your podcasts to help more people find the show. Hi, Maria. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Maria, you are dialing into this podcast from Surrey, England, correct? Absolutely. But I know that that's not your original hometown. You are, in fact, from the island of Trinidad. Yes, I am. Yes. So I was just wondering if you could tell us how you came to be in England. So it was roughly around 2000 that I decided I wanted to do my ME in publishing. And so I had applied to a couple universities um, and I was given a place. But then I thought to myself, am I just going to leave Trinidad for the first time, go to university having never been on my own? So at that point, one of my colleagues, I at the time, I worked in a contemporary art gallery and the curator was an English a young lady. And so she said to me, well, you can stay with my family. And I thought it was just one of those things you just say off the cuff. But eventually her mom came to Trinidad and she introduced me and her mom said, yes, yes, you must come, you must come. So I was like, okay. And um, at that time, I was still in my 20s. And I was within that remit for what they call the working holiday visa. So her mom kindly uh, was my sponsor. And I came up on a working holiday visa. And I thought I'd work for a year and then start university. And then a year in, I realized that I hadn't even had half of the money I needed. Because, you know, when you're far away, you think, oh, I just need to work hard and save everything and I'll have enough money year in and no such luck. Um, So I deferred my places and I returned home for a few months, uh, pretty much just to sort of like see where things were at because I was trained as a library technician. And I thought, let me just return, have a word with like some of my old teachers and mentors to see where things were at. 
But at the time I returned home, everyone I had done the course with had either been granted scholarships by the government to go to Canada or America or wherever else while I was in the UK. So there were no more opportunities for me. And then I thought, okay, so I'm going to have to come back to the UK, give another crack at it. But it became clear that I wouldn't be able to fund myself to do a master's. So I decided to do an administration, it's called a administration of business executives. So basically it was sort of like a, a diploma in business administration. So I did that for about, I think I did about two, two years or so. Um, but it meant that I had to change from the working holiday visa to a student visa. And um, while I was at college, I was introduced to this young man who basically took my heart away. <laughs> and so we started dating and um, he popped the question. <laughs> so we dated for about three years or so before, you know, he asked me to marry him. And so here I am, <laughs> never did my master's, never returned to Trinidad, and I'm still in the UK. And we now have, obviously, you know, we're married and we have kids now. That's wonderful. And you must have been quite taken with the UK to go to work, come back to Trinidad, and then still want to go back to pursue living a life there. Absolutely. I think for me, coming, it seems a strange thing to say, but coming here, the the moment I landed, I felt at home. And I know it's a strange thing to say as somebody black coming from the Caribbean, but because my, as I said, my education has always been mainly in literature because I did my degree in English. But saying English is really that you're studying literature, different types of literatures and um, um, training as a library technician. So everything I've done academically really prepared me to be more um, prepared to be here than home, so to speak, because all I ever read was like English novels and so forth. So coming here meant that I was actually seeing a world that I'd read about for so long. I've always wanted to travel and see places that I'd read. So I felt immediately comfortable. And um, I didn't move to London straight away. I lived, so my friend's family, they lived in Cambridge. So I worked as a library technician for the uh, the Faculty of Classics. So not the main university library, but one of the department libraries. And I was a library assistant there. So I really sort of like went into that life that I'd read about, you know, being in Cambridge, punting, bike. Well, not that I could ride a bike anyway, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that sort of scenario. Before I moved to London, which was a totally different experience, you know, moving from having champagne receptions uh, in at King's, and Christmas dinners and so forth, then moving to London in the East End of London, it was a totally different experience. So at the point when I returned home, I was already living in London as in a house share. And I just felt, I think once you've left home for a certain period of time, when you return, nothing is ever the same. Nothing is ever the same when you return home. So coming back here actually seemed more comfortable. It was it was because I'd already been here for about a year and a half in the UK and very well immersed into everything. So, yeah, I was happy. There must have been things that you you missed about Trinidad, though, and, and your life back home. 
Well, obviously the weather, <laughs> the weather, the food, and the support of family. Because it wasn't a case where, as I said, when I came, I came and I stayed with family of a friend of mine. And then when I moved to London, I actually, it was so strange. It's like I was talking to a friend back home and I said, I have to move to London. I don't know where I'm going to stay. And it's like, oh, I have this friend who's a doctor and he runs a room. And when I moved to London, I moved into the house of somebody I didn't know. Hadn't even, I was living there for about a month and I hadn't even met him yet. But there were other people um, from Trinidad who lived there. So I felt comfortable. I was probably well living in that house for a month before I actually met the person who actually owned, you know, the house. Um, so it meant that I, I had to grow up really quickly in terms of feeling my way around the whole sort of like uh, the immigration system, um, figuring out um, just just day-to-day -day life. I had to work that out on my own because in the Caribbean, we tend to stay until we get married and especially as, as, as a young woman. So when I left Trinidad, I was 27 and I was still having like my, my meals made, my clothes washed and everything. So I really had to grow up really quickly, <laughs> you know, when I came here. So starting everything from scratch and finding myself and my voice and, and really thinking about what I wanted for the latter part of my life. Right. And now 19, 20 years on, you're obviously, like you said, you're married, you have a family, you're living in Surrey and it began with that move, but it also began with meeting your now husband. So what was that experience like in terms of dating abroad? Like how, how quickly did you, did you think it was going to be a serious thing and you thought you might be staying longer than you'd intended? Um, Dating when you're overseas, especially um, speaking for myself, I've always been very cautious. Prior to that, the young men I dated before were always friends. So we'd either been at university together and in the same class, or we were in the same sort of like um, charity uh, youth group together. So this was the first time I was actually meeting somebody just by the way, it just happened that one of my uh, high school friends, they worked together. And so she said, oh, I know somebody. And he, he probably at the, at the same time was saying, well, you know, I want to date. And do you know anybody? We pretty much said the same thing to her at the same time. And so she's exchanged numbers for us. And then he and I spoke online for about a month before we actually met. So when we met, it was comfortable because we had already been speaking to each other almost every day online um, via what was then MSN Messenger. And we probably dated for about a year and a half before we actually decided to be what you call boyfriend-girlfriend. It took about a year and a half. It took then probably two, a few months later, I met his mom because he, he's from a single parent background. The proposal obviously came about a year after that, but it was more from a place where I, I didn't expect it to happen so soon, though, I would say, because I was sort of like preparing to just finish my diploma and, you know, go home for a bit and just, you know, be with my family. So that part, I, I even though I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this person, I didn't 
realize that it would have happened as soon as it did, if that makes sense. Right. And did you discuss with your your now husband, did you discuss whether or not you would live in the UK, whether or not you'd move back to Trinidad or go somewhere new entirely? Oh, well, it wasn't really... It really wasn't an option, to be honest, because as I said, you know, we, he comes from a single parent home and, um, his mom really, she wasn't at the best peak of health. So he had to be around. So going anywhere would not have been an option. And in fact, being even far away, because at the time I lived in East London, they lived in Cheam. So it wasn't even a, a a matter of, well, let's stay in East London. I actually had to move this end of the river so that, you know, he could be like 10 minutes away from her so that he can be available to her for, you know, doing simple things and just checking in, really. Yeah, he sounds like a good, good son. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> so you perhaps never envisaged living in the UK as long as you did when you when you first moved out to uh, to work and to study, but you obviously love it. You know, you're still there. What are some of the things that you love about living in the UK? I like being able to be me um, <laughs> because the things that I like and the things that I enjoy doing always... When you're on an island, not you don't know everybody. Yes, it's, it's small and people it's not but it's not that small that you literally know everybody. But still, if you are a little bit different, you stick out. <laughs> you see? And um sometimes that could be a bit jarring. Whereas being here in in a on a bigger island, I felt freer. Everybody have their own experience, but for me personally, I felt freer to be myself, like what I like, do what I want to do, um, and not not have to stick out too much, so to speak. Although, once becoming a blogger and, and having um, certain opportunities, it meant that I did actually stick out in the room. But um, I just took it in stride. Um, no, I, I do really love what you're saying about wanting to be yourself. And I definitely think there is something freeing about moving to a new country. You can explore different sides of your personality. You can try on different people for size in in terms of who you are and how you interact with other people. How How did becoming a mother change your relationship both to the UK and to Trinidad? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I felt my most vulnerable when I became a mother, because when you're living for yourself, so to speak, you can, I I pretty much knew the rules as, as, as a single woman, but as a, as a mother, that's when things changed because obviously not having the support of family and friends and, um, I experienced postnatal depression, but just my simple fear of now being a mother, not knowing how things worked, it filled me with fear. Because you always hear these stories of, you know, if you, if you're a bad parent or if you do this or that, you know, the authorities will step in and they'll want to take your child away and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember when I had my first child, it was a really bad winter that year. And it meant that 
back then, the health visitor was expected to come within the first 10 days, I think, of, of you being home. But because of that really bad weather and where we lived, um, we were sort of like at the bottom of a hill. So it was hard for them to get to us. And at that point, you know, baby wasn't sleeping. I was so severely sleep deprived that I was here constantly hearing white noise. And um, when she did come, as soon as I opened the door, I just burst out into a flood of tears. And um, I was trying to explain to her the things that I was feeling. And the first thing she said to me was, would you say you're an anxious person? And so I said, yeah, well, yes, I, I would say so. And then she asked me a few other questions and then she wrote it in the red book. You have a red book where you record all the vaccinations that your child has, all their measurements and things. And after she left, when I looked at the book, I realized that she put mom is an anxious uh, mom or something like that. And that really scared me because I thought it meant that I have this book for five years. Wherever I go, I have to take this to the doctor's. Are they going to be more involved in my child's life? Are they going to take him away? All these. So it filled me with so much fear. And um, so it, it took probably my son was close to 14 months before I was actually able to open up and say I wasn't coping. So my expat experience changed when I became a mom, because when you have children, the government here is so much more involved in in um the lives of children and things like that so that that's when i started to feel fear and 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 worry and um oh my god what's going to happen now type of thing and it must have been hard as well like you say living away from family and you know school friends and people that you've had longer uh relationships and and connections with than in the uk Oh, absolutely. I mean, I do have friends here, friends that I went to university with, people that I know from high school, but it's, they tended to stay in sort of like what would be predominantly sort of like, um, like Caribbean, more of a, a migrant population. Whereas by me moving to Surrey, my closest friend would have been like an hour and a half away and none of us could drive. I couldn't drive. They can't drive. So everything makes it even longer. You see, so there was that isolation. So it's not as though I didn't have friends, but they were too far away um, and they worked in, in much more high profile jobs than I did. So their time was different to, to mine. And also I felt I didn't want to be the friend always calling and crying on the phone, talking up, crying about the baby or whatever. Oh gosh, that must have been really challenging. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But now your your children are that much older and I know on your blog you talk about parenting and raising them in a mixed heritage household. How do you bring those Trinidadian influences into their lives? Uh, probably more, more, well, in the early days it was more to do with the food and trying to stay connected with my family back home via Skype because my, my family haven't actually physically met the kids because um, uh, they just haven't been able to come over. And I never really wanted to fly with young kids. I know some parents do, but for me and where I was at that point in time when it was easier to travel with them, I was still very much trying to learn how to cope. So I just never did. Um, so yes, it was like sort of like keeping connected 
to my family. And like I said, I do have friends here who are like I knew from high school and um and university. So they are whenever they can, they're a part of our of our lives and visit and so forth. On a cultural level, we haven't done anything specifically Trinidadian as such, because I've never been to there's Notting Hill Carnival, which is well rooted into Caribbean culture. But none of us like crowds. <laughs> so they've never been to the carnival. Um, and Trinidad Carnival is usually sort of like February, March, and it always clashes with Chinese New Year. So we probably would start the morning probably looking at a few clips of people playing masks, but then it will be on to either going into Chinatown or having a family meal at a restaurant. Because their, their dad is... British Chinese? So dad is uh, Chinese Italian. So his mom, um, she is now dis, uh, deceased, but his mom was uh, Chinese Mauritian and his dad is Italian. But looks wise, he looks more, you can see more of his Chinese features. So, and he strongly, he has a stronger connection to his Chinese side. So I try to find ways that I can help them to have some experience of their Chinese culture as well. That's great. That's so wonderful that they are growing up in such an interesting household with so many different perspectives. They're getting them from you. They're getting them from their father, from their school friends. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, my husband has, he has a... Unlike myself, he does have a few family members here, but again, they're far away. So we tend to see family at if it's Christmas or birthday. It's not like they're around the corner. But so therefore they have more of, if anything, I suppose they would have more of a sort of Chinese influence, if, if you will, because they would see their father's Chinese, you know, family. Whereas with mine, it's more on WhatsApp and Skype and stuff like that. Right. That's one of the, um, I think that's one of the interesting things about uh, living abroad right now during this time. Um, it sounds like you are similar to me and that we're very well versed in speaking to family via Skype, via WhatsApp, FaceTime, etc. And I know I have sort of standing dates, reoccurring dates with friends and, and family via video call. And so it's interesting to see how because of this pandemic, you know, people are having to stay indoors and, and stay isolated at the moment. So the culture to kind of shift and move events and discussions and connections onto Zoom, Skype, etc., is much greater. But in a way, I feel perfectly prepared for it. I don't know if you feel the same. Oh, yes. Um, so with the kids now, because we're still, well... In the UK, the year, I think reception, year one and year sixes, they can return to school. But my children are in year two and year four, so they're still at home. And likewise, they're friends. So they use um, something called, I think, house party. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And that is it's, it's more, yeah, it's more, it's easier for them to manage. And that's how they communicate with their friends. For myself, I tend to use WhatsApp uh, to call my mom in Trinidad. My dad is in America. And my family is quite scattered. So my immediate family. So they're sort of, I'm the only one here. Everybody else is either in Trinidad or America and Canada. 
So it's quite um, cross-continental. Very spread out. So we've always had to sort of like stay connected via social media and things like that. Yeah, it is amazing how how you are able to reach people wherever they are in the world. I have a WhatsApp group with some friends and there's some in Vietnam, some that were in Ireland and have just moved to New Zealand, some back home in the UK. And it's kind of wonderful whenever some one group of friends is starting to like go to bed, another one is just waking up. And so the the chat is always going. Absolutely. <laughs> With regards to migration, immigration, the freedom to travel and, and move. Obviously, you came over on a work visa um, back in the early 2000s and, and you've stayed. What does the idea of migration and the opportunity to move mean to you? It's expensive. <laughs> Let's just start there with all the different visas and papers and things. And um, I've never been one to pop things in the post. <laughs> I like to see somebody face to face. So I've always had to pay that much more um, in terms of whenever I had to change a visa, um, um, like changing the type of, of visa that I had. Uh, going into the, like into Europe, at the time before I was actually a British citizen, it meant having to apply for a Shenzhen visa. So it wasn't just the UK government, uh, the Home Office, but also going to the embassy of the country I wanted to visit to get the Shenzhen visa and la di da. So yes, free rental movement, it's expensive. <laughs> Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can definitely sympathise with that. Um, you mentioned you you're now a British citizen. Did that happen via marriage, or was that a process that you had to go through independently? Oh, that happened after marriage. So, if uh, at the time, because policies change all the time, but at the time, it meant that because I wanted to marry here. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a church wedding. It was a registry wedding. So in order to do that, I had to apply for permission to be granted to get married here. So that was one cost. And then after we were married, I had to apply for, I think, um, indefinite leave to remain, I think it was called. And so that was another cost. Um, and I had that for three years and then. After that, I could have applied for um, my citizenship. So I think that's how it went. And obviously that was another course as well. Yeah, yeah, there are so many hoops to jump through. But but by then I would have been in the UK for um, probably five to six years. I would already have been in the UK at that point. Oh, so quite well, well grounded, well rooted. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And do you have any advice for anyone considering making a move abroad? I think for anyone embarking on or, or considering the expat life, it depends on where you are as a person, because the experience you have as a single person will be different to if you're making that move with children. Because obviously, if you already have children, you need to think about like schools and um, 
your where you live and the best schools to go to and so forth but for me I, it was sort of like a gradual transition so I came single uh, and then I had children here and so forth so the two experiences are different is, is what I would say you have to sort of like be aware that you may change there's some aspects of yourself that may change because it obviously depends on on where you're coming from what your experiences will before you actually came for me, I've always had the mindset that wherever I am in any particular point in time, that was home. So I was able to make that transition and settle better. But if you're you're moving, but your heart and your mind is still back where you came from, then sometimes it's harder to settle. Because I've had friends who, who um, came after me and returned home because they never felt comfortable. But for me, if I go on a holiday and I'm in a in cottage for a week, that's home. I immediately have that mindset that's home. So I think that transition was easier for me because in my mind where I am at any given point in time is home. Home is that is a feeling for me, that feeling of comfort and security. That's a very admirable skill, I think, that you can adapt and have that that mindset because obviously home homesickness and feeling like a fish out of water are you know, the very common things when, when one moves abroad. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I, I've never, I've never experienced that. I think I've always said, I think I was born to be an expert. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm restless by nature and wherever I am, I make myself comfortable. So I've, uh, during my time here, during that transition, I didn't experience homesickness. You know, people often say, what do you miss about home? Or, um, when 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 was the last time you visited home? When will you go again? That type of thing. And to me, home is where the country where I was born. That is home. It will always be there. It's it's very much in my DNA. Um. So I just deal with things as they come and where I am physically. Where I sleep at night, that's home. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, that sense of home is wonderful and. That feels like a lovely place to to end on. Maria, if anybody wanted to read your blog, learn more about your adventures, follow your your family and, and your adventures together, where can they find you? So my blog is called The Tiger Tales and that is uh, www.thetigertales.co.uk. Tales as in like story. Um, and I gave it that name mainly because my son was born in the year of the tiger. And at the time, it was all about that surge into motherhood and all the experiences and stories I'd have to tell. On Instagram, it's Miss Expat, but M-S-X-P-A-T. And it's the same on Twitter. Because on those two places, I like to you know play around with things that interest me. So it wouldn't just be blog content but you know if i see some you know nice makeup or something fashionable whatever interests me i tend to share that there so you probably get a even better sense of my personality on twitter and on instagram wonderful and i'll make sure that um all the links to those handles and the blog are are mentioned in the show description i'd appreciate that thank you thank you so much for joining me maria thank you for having me sarah Thanks for listening to Non-Native. If you like what you heard, subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at shipshapebf 
or over on my blog, shipshapeinbristolfashion.com. 